Welcome to the Peter O. Estevez Show with your host, Peter O. Estevez. Get it fast, hit it dash in my position, you will never last. Real talk, I had to get it from the mall. Real talk, now I'm vibing with a bankroll. For over 25 years, entrepreneur, speaker, and CEO Peter O. Estevez has built businesses all over the world. And today, he shares his experiences, failures, and successes along the side of some of the most sought after thought leaders to help you pave your way to success. Please welcome to the show your host, Peter O. Estevez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of the Peter O. Estevez Show. This is your host, Peter O. Estevez. And today we have Jim and Jamie Shields, the founders of Family Board Meeting, an incredible group that keeps and brings together families. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Jim. How are you all today? Welcome to the Peter O. Estevez Show. Thanks, Peter. Great to see you. Guys, thank you for being here. And I'm sorry that we have, we've been talking about doing this podcast for a little bit. And I am so glad that we got together today. And it gives us an opportunity to share your message to to my community and many communities across the world. More particularly today in a world where the family unit has disintegrated at the highest levels. You know, it's, it's, it's so interesting that we are so connected in cyberspace, but we are so disconnected physically, mentally, emotionally, and more particularly as a family unit. So, you know, I, I know, uh, Jim and Jamie, that with that in mind, you guys started the family board meeting. So for the audience that is not aware of your, your movement, can you tell us a little bit about it and what was it that got that started and what it is? Great question. Yeah. So we have a company called 18 Summers. And what 18 Summers is, is it really is a, an instant reminder that we get 18 summers with our children. There's a study that we heard once that 85% of all the time you'll ever spend with your children will be in those first 18 years. And so we thought, wow, that's an easy math equation. You hear, you hear that term and you think, oh, my child's 11. I've got seven summers or, oh, they're four. Maybe I've got 14 summers or, and it's just, it's a really simple organic way to remind you to make the most of that time that you have. And our story began when we met and Jim fell in love with not just me, but me and my two boys, we had been in a bad situation and I had uh, full custody and all rights. Jim went on to fall in love with all three of us. And when we got married, the officiant got to announce that not only were we married, but Jim had also adopted the boys. So as you can imagine, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, just really coming together as a family, blending the family, growing our business, we saw that there was such a need to make sure that as we grew our family, as we blended, that wasn't being sacrificed for growing our business and vice versa. And just creating a great integration and balance in our own life helped us to start 18 Summers, the family board meeting book and guide other families to do the same. 18 Summers, you know, when you put it in those terms, 18 Summers, you know, it's not a lot, right? We think about, you know, we talk in years, mostly when we talk about our children, when we talk about our family, but it's really a finite amount of time that we spend with our children, if you really think about it. And what a great way of breaking that down to 18 summers. And, and then you think about it, gosh, it's nothing. It's, 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 it's almost insignificant to a lifetime that we each live at, at, or, or the time that we have in this, in, in this universe. 18 summers, 
then board your book, uh, the, the, the Family Board Meeting, which basically talks about how to integrate in the family and how to keeping the family together through a process of communication. Am I correct when I say that? Yes. Right. Yeah. We tried to keep that book short and sweet with some powerful principles that it talks about one family rhythm that really got me close with my 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 two sons that I was adopting and now our, our two additional children that we've gone on to have together. But what we tried to do in that book is hit on three main principles that we feel that if you if you'll take hold of, they'll keep your family growing as your business grows. Uh, they'll help your marriage. You'll help that relationship with each child. Um, but again, it's, it's a couple important principles we hit on. Perfect. So let's take one of those. Let's take all three principles and one of them at a time and kind of walk us through it so the audience can get an idea of what uh, the family board meeting is and what an effective way of being able to communicate and keep the family close and together. So the first one, yeah, the first one is probably the most potent, Peter, and also the, the most overlooked. Uh, and if no one listens to anything else today, if they just take this one note, it's this. What we've learned about working with thousands of families over the years, the ones that are the most successful are those that will separate the parts to strengthen the whole. And what that regards is the principle of one-on-one. One-on-one time is such a strong building block for each individual relationship, but it rarely happens because we get busy because there's other people around. There's other things happening. Uh, and I always like to joke, you know, I was, I came from an Irish Catholic family, which means I have about 4,000 cousins. Those are fun big get togethers, but the most important moments in, in the relationships I've built with Jamie and the relationships I have with each one of my children is with one-on-one time because one-on-one time takes away distraction. It puts the magnifying glass on that one relationship in a positive way. And especially for the busy entrepreneur, the business owner who might be out of the house more, it's staggering, Peter, to see how rare, if ever, they've spent one-on-one time with their spouse or their children because they're just running around too much and they don't schedule it to happen. So one-on-one time is one of the things we've seen save marriages, bring kids closer, stop that separation of the teen years. Uh, and if people put it into practice, they see results. I want to spend a little bit more on what one-on-one time means, means to you and means in the principles of, 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 uh, of the fam- family board meeting. But I, I also want to expand a little bit more on what you just said. You know, you come from a Catholic family. You have over 4,000 cousins. I come from a Mexican family. I have 13, 12 siblings, you know, That's right. 15 of us, including mom and dad. And a slew of cousins and aunts and uncles and a whole big family. But the reality is that although we spend a lot of time together, we spend very little quality time alone. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. You know, it, it's especially in the older generation where my father had, you know, my father was a great pro- provider I, I, from, from the perspective of, you know, he, he worked hard to make sure that he as he used to say it, put a roof over our shoulder, uh, over our head and provide food on the table. You know, those were his last famous two words. But there was never a true connection between that and I. I mean, I cannot tell you that I remember a memorable moment where he even say, I love you. Or, or there was a connection that many kids, many of my friends talk about. I don't remember those moments. Now, keep in mind, I'm not bashing that. That only gave me what he was able to give because that's what he received, right? And that's usually what we do. I have a son, he's 21 years old. And based on what my parents gave me, I made sure that I did the opposite of what they did, right? 
So I, I, I'm able to cultivate a healthy relationship with my son. You know, I understand that my father lived in a state of survival. Okay. He, he was constantly working to provide for the family and probably didn't, didn't have the emotional intelligence to understand that it was much more important to have an emotional connection to his children than to provide yeah. food on the table and a roof over our head. So how is it that we are able to balance today that one-on-one time when we live in a world where we get 50,000 sound bites per day, where people are rushing to the next deal, to the next business opportunity, when we live in a very fast-paced world, what are some of the simple tools that we can give the audience so they can understand how they can begin that process? So what we recommend as we were talking about our book, the first principle of our book is that one-on-one time. And what we suggest, as, as Jim had said, there are three principles, but really we want to focus one day a quarter, you know, the same way that you, you just got back from a board meeting in Mexico city, you mentioned. And so you take that time, you, you step away from your usual routine, you go and you meet with your most important people and you really go deep and learn what's been going on, where are we headed? How are we doing? You have some camaraderie, right? And so that's what a board meeting looks like for us busy professionals. So we want to cultivate that same culture, that same feeling with our children. And so we always say that which we schedule gets accomplished. And so you put these one-on-one days with your children, these family board meetings, once a quarter, you get one-on-one with each of your children. And so it starts, we say, start with this with this one day, once a quarter, put on your calendar and just really take the time to go deep with your child. So that's our one rhythm. We've got a bunch of them, but that's really a great place to start. And you know, Peter, once you start in one place, you start to find other areas in which you can do it more. So you think, oh, well, that was fun. Oh, well, my spouse is out of town next Tuesday. Let's do an impromptu one. And that'll make two this quarter, but at least you know, like, oh, wow, that'll be nice to be together again. Or maybe you sneak out for a date night, just the two of you. But the more you do it, the more you recognize opportunities to take that time. Jamie, when you put it that way, when you said once a quarter, that really doesn't sound like a lot, right? Once a quarter to spend time with your child. I mean, it sounds like almost asinine, right? But the reality is that once a quarter is better than none, right? Yes, And it's intentional. And that's what we, you know, really want to harness is just, being really intentional when you do make that time. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you that if I had had once quarter with my dad, what it was him and I, not, you know, whether he was pushing me to do something I didn't want to do, but rather that we were spending quality time rather than, than complaining or nagging or even family reunion time, if I, I would have more memorable, memorable memories of he and I together. And the reality is that we didn't, I, I don't have any of this, as I said earlier. Your suggestion is that you start there once a quarter, and that will catapult into other opportunities where you, what happens during that process? And I know this sounds very elementary, right? But what it happens- It doesn't have to, those, to be hard. Yeah, but, but what happens to those parents that are completely disconnected with their children? You know, I after experience that I go to a restaurant, I'm a big people watcher, okay? And I can see- where they can be a couple or a family, the kids are on their phone, on their tablet, whatever it is, whatever, whatever electronic instrument is, no one is talking at the table. They're taking bites in between posting or likes or swiping. Okay. So, so how do you initiate a conversation when you have been so disconnected? 
Well, it's funny you say that, Peter, because principle number two is something that is absolutely a tie into principle number one, and you just hit the nail on the head. So we've all heard um, through, through our health studies of intermittent fasting, right? Intermittent fasting, it helps weight maintenance, muscle, uh, re-strengthening organ revitalization. It's good for your health. And, and what intermittent fasting is you're not giving up eating, right? You're just saying, I'm only going to eat between this time and this time. Uh, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to give up eating, but I'm going to eat at disciplined times. So about five years ago, we created something called intermittent tech fasting. Uh, intermittent tech fasting. So we're not asking you to give up technology and move to a survival ranch in Montana, but we're saying there has to be times for complete and total unavailability on both sides, whether it's you and your spouse, you or your child, uh, to really focus on what's right in front of you. So one of our rules when we're spending one-on-one time, whether it's me and Jamie uh, taking a date every week or this day a quarter uh, with each of my children, my phone is not invited, Peter. My laptop is not invited. Their phone is not invited. So right there, when we set these rules up front, we're saying, look, we're not telling you have to give up your phone, but we're saying when we spend this time together, I'm going to set that example because a lot of us parents are hypocrites. We'll be turned to the side and saying, turn your phone off while we're sneaking yeah. that last text. Sure, I, I do it. Yeah, we all have. Yeah. And but we won't invite our phones on this one-on-one time. And just the power of, of taking away that, technology interruption that, you know, once you get that little buzz in your pocket, you don't even have to look at it, but now your brain has gone in seven different directions. Gosh, is there something on this new project I'm working on or that last board meeting I was at with my big investors or is it something else you don't know? So when you're completely separated, if that is is gone from and giving the chance to distract you both on both sides with you and your child, now, all of a sudden, it really brings a, a, a haziness into focus that we've forgotten about. We don't realize how often we're interrupted every three to five minutes when we're trying to relate with the most important person in front of us. So the starting point, Peter, is setting the stage. We want to set the stage so that real communication, connection, and going below the surface happens. One-on-one times, absolutely a key factor in that. The second part is we're gonna set the rules that our phones and our laptops and and the news like on TV is not invited during this time. We're only spending one day a week together for like a date, like one evening a week. And we're spending one day a quarter with each of our children. I don't want technology interrupting during that time. So if you set that stage and cut that out, that allows for better communication. Absolutely, absolutely. You're not distracted. So let's talk about principle number three. So principle number three to the day is that it's a fun activity with focused reflection. So first we set the stage. It's us one-on-one, your phone's not invited, but the really great part is that the child gets to design the day. And so that's where you have the buy-in. You know, a lot of people ask us, oh, my kid's not going to want to go hang out with me all day because what if I, you know, what if I choose something that's not fun? The thing is when you propose it to your child and you say, hey, I want to spend a day with you. And you get to pick the day. What do you want to go do? So it's everything from climbing a lighthouse, uh, swimming with dolphins, going to the library story time, getting ice cream, whatever it may be. But the child gets to design the day. So there's all buy-in and they're excited. And most of the time you get to do things that you would have never chosen to do. And you get out of your comfort zone. You're laughing again. You're playing. Maybe you're doing laser tag, running all over the place like a crazy person, but they really get to see you in their world. And so that brings a different level of connection, a different level of trust and camaraderie that maybe wasn't there before. 
And we usually say within this principle, making a little bit of time to have, have a meal together, you know how important it is to break bread. And oftentimes natural discussion or what we call focused reflection will come up. Wow, what was your favorite part of the day? I was laughing my butt off when we X, Y, and Z, or I realized I had no idea you were so funny, or I had no idea you were so great at racing golf carts or whatever it may be, go-karts. So it's just a great opportunity to really connect in a different way after you have that great, fun playtime together that your child plans. Wow. Wow. Let's go into some case studies. Okay. Would it be okay if we can, you can talk to me about a couple of cases where you saw, you know, one of the things that touched me about, uh, uh, about the family boardroom, uh, Jim, and I, I told you this before we got started with the, with the, uh, with the podcast was that, you know, I, I come from the recovery space. I've been in sobriety for 22 years and I could completely relay where that mustard seed was planted on me. A mustard seed of, 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 of the lack of connection between, between families. And, and, and the reality is the connection is, is, is uh, the lack of connection is a, is one, probably one of the, one of the bridges between addiction and sobriety. Okay. Because I see how many children, okay. I used to see it in adults, but now I focus most on the research, right? The preventive part of it. Okay. Uh, but, but, but if we hear the stories in recovery is over and over and over, my parents were gone. I was alone. Okay. I didn't fit in. Uh, I, you know, I felt different. Uh, so, so, so there's, there, there's a lot of factors that, that as, as we develop as young men and women, we begin to feel isolated from society. How can we not, we're not even connected to our parents. Right. And, the story that you revealed, uh, uh, that you share in, in, in the first chapter of, of the book is how you went to an intervention for uh, a friend of yours. You were there in support of your friend. And the commonality among the families that were there were that most of the parents were absentee parents, for lack of a better word. They were busy, you know, like my father, okay? They were busy taking care of the family, making sure that, that, that they were growing the business or taking care of their jobs so they can provide for, for, for the family, but yet they were missing the biggest component, okay? And that was actually emotionally supporting the family. And that really kind of hit home because I saw a disconnect between me and my son at some point, and I'm gonna share that with you in a few minutes. Uh, and that was my big aha moment, my big awakening. But can you cite some of the, some, some, some of the cases? Some, can you give me some case studies of some of the, you don't have to name the families, but give us some example what have you seen, you know, probably one of your worst cases and the transformation that has happened between those families? Well, I think that that overall, you hit on something very powerful. And I heard it years ago. I don't remember where I heard it from exactly, but I heard the saying, the opposite of addiction is connection. It's connection. Absolutely. And, and when I heard that, that was such a plug-in for me. And so I can sum up to two things. First off, what I've learned very clearly is business success does not equal family success. Because if you've delegated yourself out of family life, like you said, if connection is the opposite of addiction, what's brought it in, I'm thinking of like three or four cases right now, was two things. First of all, they felt alone or they were so appreciative of how hard their parent was working. They didn't want to bother them. 
they said, you were so busy. I didn't want to come to you with this. So then they uh -huh. self-internalized. They turned to people like their friends or the internets that might not be the, the best choice. So what we found was it wasn't even disdain for the parents. It was that they were around some, but they seemed so busy and, and so unavailable because they were working so hard for the family. Some kids actually just didn't want to burden their family. So they looked for other outlets. So there's a common theme of parents that they, they, they wear this badge of honor. We're so busy providing and, and giving you something we didn't have, but they've also put up this image that we can't be approached because we are at our capacity with what we're able to take on. And that includes maybe some of your emotional needs. And wow. once we started to break through that, holy cow, it wasn't more of a, a higher business level they wanted. It was just them. They wanted the camaraderie. They wanted to be able to, to communicate vulnerably. As hard as that might sound for some teens, they do want to do it. I remember one case study of a, a gentleman I knew who, who we worked with. He had a very successful marketing company and it went bankrupt. And he had two twin daughters um, in their late teens. And he had really neglected time with them, wanting to build this business. And all of a sudden he's getting a divorce. And he started to go on these one-on-one -on -one days with them. And in that year, he learned a very simple message separately, both twins, but not sharing the conversations. And they both said to him, basically, dad, don't you understand? It's not the big business we ever want to do. It's you. Mm -hmm. And that's almost like, it was almost a relief for him because his big business is gone at this point, but he's able to say, okay, I'm going to give you me right now. Cause I can't give you the big business. I can't right. give you the perks to go around it. But you know what happened? He was able to rekindle a relationship with them. And through doing that, I think he got some grounding to be able to build his next business because now he had more emotional strength, more grounding, more meaning and purpose. Uh, so that's a case that really sticks out for me. Incredible. Let's talk about the tell signs, right? Let's take about the tell signs when, when, why are the warning signs that parents can look at when the child is beginning to disconnect? And also, I think it's as important because I, I, you know, unlike all traditional families or what used to be traditional families, I think that, that a family should be a family, right? It should be a, a team. And the, the, the children should have the same amount of authority to a certain, to a certain level, right? Uh, it, when it comes to communication, they, have, they should have the same amount of authority as a parent, right? In other words, my son should feel free enough to be able to come to me at any given time and talk to me about whatever, okay? And if I create that space, if I create that environment, then I can feel free to talk to about my son about whatever, even if my business is going sour, okay? So, so especially, especially, going sour, especially yeah. right? Uh, so let's talk about some of the signs when that that parents can see when their children are beginning to drift away, because I think the reality is everybody starts in a family unit with a good intention, right? And no, nobody says, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure my children are screwed up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to make sure my father or my husband, you know, strays away from the family. So how, how do we, how do we look for the tell signs between the children? Also for the children to see the tell signs of the parents and how do we bring them back together? That's a great question. And one thing, you know, when you mentioned, Peter, to, that, you know, things seem to get offline or, or how come, you know, to create this environment where you can express your, your hopes, your dreams, your vulnerabilities, your traumas, you know, to be able to have this two-way communication. 
what we found and what we guide our clients in is true buy-in. When you communicate and well, first, when you create and communicate a shared set of values that creates so much buy-in, you know, we sit with our children and, and say, okay, well, what matters to you? You know, and when you all agree on our values in our family, our sobriety, our validity values in our family are um, humility and service. The values in our family are quality time. So then when we get pushback on something, we say, Hey, we all agree. Quality time is one of our core values. So, you know, and so we try to build off of that. And then as time changes, or if a value changes, or if something falls offline, it gives us a point like that, that commonality to create, you know, a common vocabulary to then communicate off of, but really creating that buy-in causes a lot, you know, brings a lot of camaraderie. I do think too, as you mentioned, um, you know, communicating your failures is a huge part of parenting and being vulnerable. One thing that Jim's really great at is apologizing. And that's huge. You know, so many adults, we think that we're invincible. We think that we can be, you know, because we work so hard, we can come home, we can, we can throw our trash around the house, our emotional trash or our work baggage or whatever it may be. And, and that whoever's in the house just has to take it. And it's not true, you know, and, and we can say, gosh, I'm sorry, I had a rough day and I took it out on you. Or we can come home and say, hey, I might be a little grumpy tonight or work ordering out dinner, whatever it may be. I had a rough day. And sometimes that that happens. And it really allows your children the space to know that they too can have a rough day. They can have an off day. They can fall off and come back and say, hey, I'm sorry, I was a jerk. And it really creates a great climate within the family to have that. I, I love that. And I want to share two, two stories there that related. It's about my son. You know, in 2008, uh, right at the beginning of the year, I lost my mother. In fact, I lost my mother Sorry. July 5th uh, of 2008. Uh, we were living during one of the worst economic, one of the worst recessions of our generation. Okay. Yep. Real estate. And I was losing assets by the minute. Okay. Yep. Uh, my wife asked me for a divorce. My father passes away six months after mother passes away. And all of a sudden, I find myself living with my six and a half year old, okay, raising him as a single father. And my son went from being, and, and I'm sharing this story for the audience. I'm not sharing this story uh, because my story is unique, but because the story, uh, uh, my story is a story of many. It just, some of it has been, has different characters, obviously. And, and, and the story has different endings. And, and, and thankfully, my story has had an incredible ending. Uh, but at that particular sound, at that particular time, my son went from being a healthy six and a half, six year old, you know, active, playing football, playing sports, just, you know, we had the, the, the on the surface, you know, the, the, the typical American family with the white, perfect picket fans and, you know, Porsche and the SUV and every toy you can think of, and out of nowhere, everything crumbles, okay? The family was not equipped to be able to transition to that type of adversity, okay? So instead of unifying and talking and looking for a solution as a family unit, everybody started uh, every man for themselves, okay? And, and I find myself, my son went from being a healthy little boy to, 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 uh, to, to gaining over 50 pounds in a, about a six, seven month period of time and becoming a seclus in his room, just playing games and, and eating pizza and whatever else I was willing to enable because I, I had this guilt as a parent and everything that I had done wrong, right? 
and and I I I I, I can almost remember that I, I was at one of my 12-step meetings and I looked at my phone uh, towards the end of the meeting. I had like 13 missed calls from my son. And uh, I stepped out of the meeting. I called him back. And the first thing he says when I answer, I said, what's wrong, son? He says, I hate you. I hate my mom. I hate life and I don't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. And I kept him on the phone and I drove to the house, kept talking to him, try to keep him busy, make sure he wasn't harming himself. Or doing something, something, something wrong, right? So uh, I got to the house. I kept talking to him. Walked in the house. Got him. I said, "Let's go for a ride." We went for a long ride, and we talked. And it was really, really, really the first time that two major op- just openings, just, just, just light bulbs came on on me. And one of them was that I was inflicting the same type of pain on my child that I had felt as a child. Okay. It was just different, okay? It was different. It was, it, it was in a different environment, different social economics, you know, different dynamics, but, but, but pain is pain is pain is pain, okay? Yeah. Neglect, neglect is neglect is neglect, okay? This function is this function is this function is this function. It doesn't matter how you sugarcoat it or how you dress it up. So I, I it, you know, I, I told my son, I said, I cannot promise you that your mom and I are going to get back together. Okay, but I can promise you one thing for certain. I will be available for you as much as I can. And I literally took a step back from my company to make sure that my son was homeschooled, that I was available for his tutors, that I was able for his available for his extracurricular activities, golf, football, whatever, make sure that he was supported in every area. And I even started changing my diet and my eating habits because I wanted to to convey to him a message of a healthy lifestyle period, you know? And and the reality is that I thought everything was okay because I was sober, because I was working a 12-step program, because I was going to church, because in my own crazy little mind, I was doing all the right things, okay? But in spite of all of that, I was not listening to my son's cry. I was not listening to his pain. I was not doing anything about, you know, kids don't eat and gain 50 pounds just because they're happy, right? There's a cry for attention. So slowly I reintegrated myself into his life, immersed myself into his life. I can tell you, I report very happy today that my son is 21 years old. He's a healthy 4.0 GPA at Oklahoma State University. He's tall, handsome, fit. Uh, He has an incredible career uh, ahead. He's doing an internship. He's on the dean list. I I can go on and talk to him and praise them forever and ever and ever. Amen. And I had a happy ending, but I was able to see the mistakes that I was, that, that I was making as a parent. I thank God that I had an opportunity uh, to be able to see it clearly. But what happens in the cases of many of the parents, and I go back to the beginning of the mustard seed, okay? What happens when parents, when we overlook that, when we omit it or, or fail to see it? How can we begin to establish that kind of communication in our household? I know that you talk very clearly about the three principles. I get it. But sometimes presenting something structure may not be, may not be the way. Is there a way of engaging in a conversation that would lead us to, to formalizing? Yeah, I think there is. And I think it's something to remember. And that thank you for sharing that story because yeah. it, it hammers home something that Jamie and I try to share 
every moment we can with every talk, workshop, retreat, whatever we're doing. And it's this finding, Peter, there is no perfect family. Yeah. I haven't found one. I, yeah. we ha- we've worked with thousands of families now, but the problem is we put this pressure on ourselves, especially if we're entrepreneur uh, businessmen and women, we already have this drive to create and succeed, but that doesn't mean perfection. And there is no perfect family. Family life's never been about perfection. It's about bridging our imperfections, making the most of the time we have, supporting each other. And if we can look at it like that and take that silly P word out of it, that's a start. Uh, and then from there, it sounds like you said something to your son that a lot of people will, will, will never hear from their parents. Um, they probably didn't hear it from their parents. And that is a sincere apology. Man, a sincere apology is a great starting point. Hey, the divorce, I can only imagine, was really hard on, on you and your sister. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I haven't always been here. I was going through struggles with my business. I just want to apologize. I've probably been short. I've been working on my, my own issues with my own recoveries. And I might have left you feeling alone and unsupported. And I just want to say I'm sorry. The, the power of a sincere apology, where yeah. for a lot of for a lot of powerful people I know, influential people, it's very hard to apologize. They almost see it as, as, a, as a weakness instead of a strength that, that uh, or that they, gosh, but I worked so hard. Do you know all the things I sacrificed? Almost like you should have immunity from an apology. But Peter, the simple starting point for so many people out there is a very, like the conversation you have with your son, you look them in the eye and apologize openly, completely, and that can be just the spark. That can be what turns the wheel, right? To, to, to do a complete 180. Uh, it can all start with sincere apology. And I think when you acknowledge and apologize in that way, you're saying, I see your trauma, right? Because like you said, trauma is trauma, is disconnect, is dysfunction, is neglect. And the thing is, is that sometimes we as parents think, well, you don't have it as bad as I had it. You know, and you even said that, Peter, like, oh, well, I think like, well, I'm not ignoring you or spanking you and you have lots of food and a beautiful home. Like, what's the problem? Yeah. The problem is, is that we, we all have a trauma bucket and it, and our, it's not about comparatively, it's about what we have inside of us. Right. And whatever we've experienced fills up that space. Mm -hmm. So your trauma bucket included a father that wasn't ever available, limited resources, lots of siblings, whereas your son's trauma bucket was filled by a divorce and a dad trying to do his best, right. And wanting to do all the things. But, and so I just think that when you acknowledge something in the way that you did and the way in which Jim's mentioning, it really says like, I see that you also have hurt and, and that makes us human, you know, and we have to remember that, that our children are experiencing things that we didn't experience, but it's a new and exciting way that we have messed them up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jim and Jamie, you know, and, and that's a very good point, you know, because every generation has different traumas, different issues, different deals that we deal with. Okay. And I think that we, uh, the communication has been more uh, democratized, for lack of a better word, right? We're able to talk about issues. Uh, you know, I'm able to talk to my son about issues that my parents never talked to me about, you know, and openly. I talk to my son about sex. I talk to my son about drugs. I talk to my son about, you know, psychedelics. Because why? Because he's exposed to all the information out there, okay? And I think as parents, we need to try to protect our children 
from things that they're going to be exposed to anyway, regardless of how much we try to protect them from. And I think that if we make that a conversation, a dialogue, that it becomes a dinner conversation. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, my son introduced me to Joe Rogan. I had never heard of Joe Rogan. I'm talking several years ago, right? And he brings up psilocybin and he brings up mushrooms and stuff like that. And then after I step away and I'm scared shitly, excuse my French, because he's talking about psychedelics and mushrooms and stuff like that. And I'm reading about it. I say, oh my God, what if he's interested in this? No, he's just interested in the power of what's available to him out there anyway. He was going to hear from somebody else. And what a better way to have a connection with him if now we have something in common to talk about. It diffuses the power of everything that we as parents used to see as evil or negative or, or, or dangerous. Would, yes. Wouldn't you agree, Jim? hundred, hundred percent. We've learned so much from our kids on certain things when we listen and hear that. And also, like you said, Peter, if you if you don't make yourself available to talk about those things, first of all, they already uh, have con- concluded that you don't understand. You couldn't be talked to about it because you're not approachable. And secondly, I've said that there is an absolute guarantee that if you don't talk with them about it, they are going to their friends and the Internet. And I would at least rather, even if it's a subject I don't really feel comfortable in, I, I better get a little comfortable in it because I would rather it be talking with me with open honesty, no, you know, trying to sway either way with me first than their friends or the Internet. And that's the power of where I think what I've learned, Peter, if we talk to our children about things, look, no, none of them are going to be perfect. They're going to fall off the line. But what I found is when you're open and you communicate with them, it, how far off the line are they actually going to fall? That's I, I want my kids are going to fall off the line. But what I found is the more we've been open, the more we communicate, the more we talk. Uh, so it, just as a com- community with them, I, I, they're going to fall off the line. But I don't think they're falling off as far as maybe right. I did or you did. And that that excites me. And I love that. I, I, so I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that, Jamie. No, it's OK. I'm just I love the, the phrase that you use saying we diffuse the power. Yeah. Like when yeah. you have that communication, psilocybin no longer held the power. It wasn't yeah. scary anymore. It wasn't an unknown. It wasn't, it didn't need to be hidden. It wasn't, you know, it, you diffuse the power. I, that's, I really like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You, you, you know, what's interesting and, and, and I'm going to share another story because as a parent in, in a lot of my audience are, are families, right? So, you know, as a parent, probably one of the most satisfying feeling that I had when I, uh, we flew to, uh, uh, actually we drove to Oklahoma city, uh, and then drove to Stillwater, which is my son goes where, uh, Oklahoma state university is at. And I dropped him off and then he drove me to the airport. And right before we got to the airport, about 10 minutes away from the airport, I had with my son to talk. Okay. And the talk went as followed, son, you're on your own now, but I'm always here. I'm always here. I'm a phone call away. And I want you to know something. Once you enter that campus, you are going to be exposed and offer things that I never even heard of. I don't know what they look like, what they sound like, or what they do to you. From drugs to alcohol to all kinds of stuff, including sex. I cannot protect you. I cannot even ask you to not experiment on any of this stuff. But I can tell you one thing from certain. One, 
you have the addiction gene. Remember that. But two, and more importantly, is that if you ever get yourself in trouble, I will always be here for you. And there's always a solution. Okay. And the reason I share that story is because I used to hear the opposite from my dad. If you ever get yourself in trouble, you're on your own. Right. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? What a difference. Yeah. And the reality is that what parent really wants to get their, see their children in trouble and let them be in trouble? And what child is not going to experiment? It doesn't matter how many warnings you give them. Sure. No, that's that's such a difference. Yeah, it's such a difference. And you're not, you're not saying you're going to enable him, but you're just saying, I'll be here and I love you. Got your back. Yeah. Sometimes that's all they need to hear, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about 18 Summers. You know, tell us about the company. Tell us about what it does beyond the family board meeting. And tell us what programs you have available today for our community to reach out for. Sure. So 18 Summers, we just try to create a, a community to support other families, just like we're doing right here, Peter. So we also have a podcast of our own where we speak to thought leaders with incredible stories. Again, much like yourself, I'd, we'd love to have you on sometime. To, I'm, I'm really enjoying these stories of, of your son. And, you know, a lot of our listeners start listening when their children are, are a little younger, maybe earlier teens, but to hear how that progresses, how you go from having this aha moment with your, with your son, who was barely more than a toddler at six and a half, seven, going through these big changes, and then on down the line to how you adjusted your course. And now you have this incredible young man that's well-equipped through your parenting, you know, and, and doing this together. So we do have a podcast, um, that, that we speak on just as you have, um, we have a community, uh, on Instagram and Facebook as well. We offer, uh, live workshops and retreats. COVID changed that a little bit, but we hope to bring those back soon. And we do have a program I'll in our show notes, I'll send you a link for your listeners to get that program from us. Actually, we'll, we'll create a discount code. So it's just free for anybody that enters in it. And it kind of walks you through some some of the things that we talked through today, but also setting boundaries and expectations, you know, and making sure that you're, when you're available, when you say you're available, you know, some of the, some of the principles that we talked about today. So those are all ways that we, you know, love to just give back to others, create community and support because we're all on the same path together. Absolutely. It takes more than a village, doesn't it? It takes yeah. more than a village. The family boardroom is, is a second revision, right? You're, you're, the family boardroom meeting is the second revision. Is there a new one coming up? Is there anything else coming up, uh, Jim? Nothing yet. We're, we're looking at another book on alternative education right now that we're going to be writing probably within the next year. Uh, but the family board meetings are our, our number one go-to book right now. It's available on Amazon and Audible. Uh, so some people would rather listen to it. But it's a really good starting point for the principles that we're trying to teach. And again, if you have that interest in being not only successful in business, but successful at home, it's a great starting point. The second edition has lots of case studies, as you asked about, you know, some of those telltale signs of warning signs, disconnect, how these families brought it back on or how they implemented the board meeting strategy. And so that's what that second edition is really about, just bringing more of the principles to life in our listeners' lives. I love it, Jamie, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Peter O. Estevez Show. Make sure to join Peter and his next guest on a brand new episode as we continue changing and impacting lives across the world. 
Be sure to share this episode with a friend, subscribe, or leave a review today. Real talk, I had to get.